0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. It's my prayer that you have already met with God this morning. Even if you're a first time guest, that, uh, that you got lost in that time of just being alone with God. And uh, hopefully, we're able to shut out all the other things that are going on in your life. Because when you come to church, it's about connecting with God, it's about singing uh, in, in a time of worship to God, it's about, even in that time of singing, it's about hearing and receiving from Him. And uh, so I want to welcome you to church this morning. Um, I want to welcome you to this particular time of teaching. My name is Ron, and uh, I'm going to be teaching us over the next few minutes about a very exciting subject. And uh, we're coming out of, time, out of a time of meditation and reflection, so well, I'm going to do some things to bring the energy level up a little bit, and I don't want to interfere with anything God's doing in your life during that time of meditation and reflection, but we've got some very exciting things to talk about. We're going to talk about the end of the world as you and I know it, and that ought to get your blood pressure up a little bit, right? Right? Because that day is coming, and so we're going to talk about how to get prepared for that. Let me take care of a couple of items of just sort of church business. And uh, the first is, you probably, if you're a first-time guest, have noticed that the rest of us were pulling out this card. We do that because this is one of the principal ways in which we get to communicate as a church. On this card, you have the opportunity to put prayer requests and and uh, it's, it's great for the staff and myself and our prayer teams to pray through those. We enjoy partnering with you in prayer. So if you have a prayer request, you can put it on there. There's an opportunity for you to respond to the teaching this morning. And I'll guide you through that in just a few minutes. But for right now, if you would take the time to fill out that contact information box at the bottom of the first page, if you've already given us your contact information, then just put your name there. But if you haven't, If you would give us your contact information, I want to send you a thank you note for coming this morning. But more importantly, we have some great resources to put in your hands to help you connect with God. And we'd love to be able to do that. So if you'll show us how we can do that, then we'll get started at that. And uh, hang on to that until the end of our teaching time. And Justin will show you where you can turn those in at the end of, uh, of the service. Second thing you want to get out is... This uh, sheet of teaching notes, that's in your program. Looks like this. It's uh, missing a few words, and you can fill those in as we go along. We are in the middle of a two-year project as a church, and it's already had some really exciting times. And uh, we just finished uh, a whole s- series of sermons called Servolution, and it's part of this two-year project called the take hold initiative and the take hold initiative finds its foundation in 1st Timothy chapter 6 verse 12 which goes like this take hold of the eternal life to which you were called number of things should be obvious out of that verse and that is the eternal life that Christ has for you is not going to come and find you okay that's why it says take hold of it Secondly, you're going to have to take hold of it because it's like something that's not easily held on to. It's easy to grab hold of it and then lose sight of it again. And so uh, the writer says that we need to take hold of that life that Christ has for us. And we're looking at that from a number of different standpoints. But in this particular sermon series, we're really zoning in on the eternal life that Christ has for us. Because one of the best pieces of news I could give to you is that when your loved ones gather around you in the final days or hours of your life, if they end up with that privilege, that's not the end of your life. The Bible's very clear about that, that that's the beginning of your eternal life. And we're going to talk this morning about what happens in the end days when Jesus comes again. And all of us get ushered into eternity. And then next week, I'm going to take on a very challenging subject, but one that the Bible has a lot to say about. And that is, would a loving God actually send someone to hell? And uh, so uh, that's going to be... You can pray for me this week as I prepare that message because I want to be able to deliver the truth about that. The following week, Kevin is going to speak to you about what happens five minutes after you die what about your life five minutes after you die and then the last week I'm gonna to talk to you about a life that God rewards and we're gonna take a peek into heaven for a little bit and uh, I think that's gonna be a great way to close out this particular series of messages on heaven hell and the end of the world so for this morning let's talk about the end of the world I'm gonna take you right to what Jesus had to say about it take a look here in Matthew chapter 24 As lightning that comes from the east is visible, even in the west, so will the becoming of the Son of Man be. They, that is the people of all nations, will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. He will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now, as you look at that verse, it should raise some questions. And we're going to look at three of those questions this morning because it's very clear that there is an apocalyptic event that's going to happen at the end times. And it's very clear no one's going to miss out on it. Everybody, the people from all nations are going to see it. And it's very clear that God's going to do some rearranging of the heavens and the earth. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But at least three questions that, that ought to be raised. Number one, what does the Bible actually have to say about that day? Number two, what are the major events that are going to take place? And the most important one is how can I get prepared? So we're going to take a look at those today. Let's jump right in to what the Bible has to say about that day that Jesus said he's coming back again. Peter, one of the apostles, writes about it like this The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. That's why if you read the title of this particular teaching, it says the end of the world as we know it. Would that be a rather major remodel? Big time, all right? He goes on to say, that day will bring about the destructions of the heaven by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat, but in keeping with His promise... We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Let's learn three things from that. The first thing is, the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly. It will be a day that seems just like every other day. Jesus said people will be marrying and given in marriage. I did a wedding yesterday. Jesus could have come yesterday. People were getting married all over the world yesterday. They'll be getting married today. People will be going to work. Jesus described it as one person, two people will be sitting at a grinding mill, and that was a very common everyday practice. In our day and age, that means that people will be in the kitchen, and they'll be working with food, be just like every other day. And the word picture that Jesus uses is the word picture of a thief. Now, I've had my house broken into, I've had my car broken into, But when it comes to thieves, the one thing I've never had is I've never had them tell me ahead of time they were coming. No one ever left a note on my door saying, I'm coming by tomorrow to lift your TV. They always come unexpectedly. And why did Jesus do that? Because he knows you and he knows me. We are kids in grown-up bodies. And if you told your kids the exact moment you were coming home, they would misbehave till one minute before you came. Right? Absolutely. And you know something, we as adults never grow out of that. We would live however we wanted till 10 minutes before Jesus came, and then we'd gather in a church and start singing. Yeah. So Jesus said, I'm, I'm, I'm not playing the game, I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming. Okay? So it's unexpectedly. The second thing we can learn is this. The world as we know it will end. Jesus could not have described the end of the world in any more apocalyptic terms. It was crazy. Now, we're going to talk about what that looks like. Because the, the third point is this. That God's going to fashion a new heavens and a new earth. Now, when I was growing up, I always thought that it was sort of the second big bang theory. That when Jesus came again, he was going to blow everything up and then he was going to start all over again. But it's very clear in this and other passages that when God says that the world is going to be destroyed by fire, he's not talking about being uh, annihilated. It's not going to actually go out of existence. In fact, If you go back to that passage, he says the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. He does use the word destroyed, but if you were to read this passage in its context, he refers earlier to the flood, and he talks about the earth being destroyed by the flood. Same word. So when God flooded the earth, did it go out of existence? No. But you know what happened? He wiped it clean and started all over again, didn't he? And that's exactly, you know, the earth is for God what a canvas is to an artist. And if God decides to wipe it clean by water, he can. If he decides to wipe it clean uh, through fire, he can. And elsewhere in the Bible, the Bible says that God is going to take our world as it originally was before sin and before the curse of destruction came on the earth, and he's going to restore it. To its first glory, where no one ever got old and no one ever got sick and no one ever aged and no one ever died and and nothing in the world decayed, wouldn't that be wonderful? I'm up for that today it means I don't have to take out the trash this afternoon, right? yeah, because there is none and when God creates a new heavens and a new earth, the heavens were that were was the word that the jews used for the atmosphere so god's going to take the atmosphere around the earth and shape it into what it was originally where nothing aged and nothing died and He's going that's the new heavens the new earth i don't know what it's going to look like i think it's going to look very much like this earth only perfect and we're going to get to live in it we're going to break a lot of that out as we get toward the end of this series but it's very clear that god's going to fashion a new heavens and a new earth, and it's the home of righteousness and peace and joy and all those things that are good. So that's what, I mean, we could get to lots of other passages, but that's basically what the Bible says about the end of the earth as you and I know it. Now, what are the major events that will take place around the end of the earth and the end of time? Well, I'm going to give you some words that you've probably heard but you might not be able to write out a definition of, and then we're going to show you how they fit together. Okay? And if you've hung around church for a while, or you've read the Left Behind series, or if you are you know, 50, 60 years of age and you went to see Hal Lindsey's the Great Planet Earth and, and some of those things, then you're familiar with the term rapture. And the term rapture refers to a secret coming of Christ when he snatches all the believers from the earth. Now, I'll be right up front, not every church believes in the rapture. Not every church teaches the rapture. And I'll also be up front with you that that word actually never occurs in Scripture. There is a concept, however, that the believers will be caught up to be with Christ. And and that's where theologians differ on the context of what that of of when that will take place and I'm going to draw a couple charts for you in just a minute hopefully to bring that a little clearer into view. But when people talk about the rapture, they're actually referring to a secret coming of Christ in which all the saved people disappear from the earth at the same time. Okay? Second word that you will hear connected with end times is the word tribulation. And the Bible seems to indicate that there will be a period of great struggle just prior to the coming of Christ. period of great struggle worldwide. Now, I can tell you this, (laughs) that for for centuries now, theologians have believed at various times they were living in the tribulation. Could you understand? Does anyone old enough to remember what the nickname was for World War I? It was the war to what? And all war Did it? No. But could you imagine why the people in that day and time, here's this worldwide conflict, would think, this is the Great Tribulation. The whole world's involved in it. How could it get any bigger than this? Hundreds of thousands of people are being killed across the face of the earth. Okay, fast forward wasn't that many years between World War I and World War II, correct? Guess what pastors were saying in World War II? This is the Great Tribulation. We got nation rising against nation and the whole world drawn into this conflict. And we've even got nuclear warfare where people are, millions of people are being killed in just one drop. It's got to be the Tribulation. Well, guess what? It wasn't. Okay, so but the Bible does seem to indicate that there will be a period of great tribulation somehow connected with Jesus return. A third term that you've probably heard is the term Armageddon. And what's the word that's usually connected with Armageddon? Battle, right? The battle of Armageddon. And so what would the battle of Armageddon be? Well, I want to break that word down for you just a little bit. It's actually a compound word. And, it, and if you looked at it in the original language, it's actually har Megedon, And the H has been dropped in English. But Har in the original language means hill or tell. And you would have had to have been to Israel to know what a hill or a tell is. But a hill or a tell is oftentimes when a city was conquered they just flattened it they broke down the walls they broke down all the houses and they flattened it and they brought dirt and they put dirt over it and then they built a new city right on top of it and over the centuries the city just got higher and higher and higher and today when you fly into israel usually you will land in a place i know you've all heard of tel aviv tel and you can see it there it's just built up over the centuries, and here's the tell of the ancient city of Aviv. Okay, now in a different language, tell means har. Okay, so this is the word that means har or, or hill. And then Megiddo is an actual; it's, it comes from the Israeli town Megiddo, which was one of the towns where Solomon stored his horses. It's a town you can visit today. It's in one of the most strategic locations in the history of the world. That town has been flattened and rebuilt and flattened and rebuilt more than any other site that we know of on the face of the earth. Um, And it sits right at the entrance to the Esdralon Valley that that heads down into the Jordan River. Uh, Virtually uh, every conqueror who came from Africa, came up through Israel to conquer up in Europe. Every conqueror from Europe that went down into northern Africa went through Israel. They all fought battles there, including Napoleon and and people of that ilk. Okay. Now, what would the battle of Armageddon be? Well, I can tell you this, that it would seem to indicate that somewhere around the return of Christ, that the focus of the entire world would be in the Middle East and quite possibly on the nation of Israel. I can tell you that if you're a student of history, you know that it's very rare in the history of the world for the world to focus on the Middle East. It's focused many other places, but rarely on the Middle East. And yet in your lifetime and in my lifetime, the world's attention has been primarily focused on the Middle East, correct? Mostly because there's barrels over there, right? That's not a political statement, that's just a reality. And, and for, for centuries, it was just desert over there, nobody cared. But once oil was discovered there, it became the focus of the world's attention. So, can I tell you for sure... That uh, we're in the last days? I can't tell you that. But I can tell you that's a detail that seems to be falling into place. And as time goes on, we get more and more focused on the Middle East. So that's what the Battle of Armageddon is. Now, there's another term that you've heard, and that's the term millennium. And we all know that a millennium is how many years? It's a thousand years. In Revelation chapter 20, take a look at what the Bible says here in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection, and I won't break that out for you this morning, that's a whole different sort of theology, for, for, uh, for them, the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him how long? A thousand years. So there are varying theories, and, and that's just one of six passages in the Bible that mentioned the millennial reign of Christ. And I'm going to give you three sort of major interpretations of that, and I'll tell you right up front that I've studied through Scripture, and I can see how some, how a pastor or a theologian could actually hold any of these three, and I won't tell you which one I tend to lean toward this morning, because the great news is when Jesus comes again, there's no quiz on this. It's not a pass-fail, if you pass you get into heaven, and if you fail, well, too bad for you. It's not that big a deal, because in every single time the Bible brings up the return of Christ, the most important thing, and in fact the focal issue, every time Jesus brought up his return, every time Peter brought up his return, every time Paul talked about the return of Christ, the focal point always in every single one of them, the focal point was, you better be ready. That's the whole issue. But uh, here's a sneak peek, okay? So there's always... um, There's always two things that are involved when we talk about the return of Christ. We have the first coming of Christ, which I'm going to show as a cross, and we have the final judgment, and I'm going to show that as a book... Because the Bible clearly says books will be opened and will be judged out of what's written in those books. Okay? So, the first group of people are the people that we're going to call all millennialists, okay? And they say that the millennium is a figure of speech, just like we often use. By the way, we often use figures of speech with, with regard to time. We will say, it, back in the day of King David, does that mean he only lived one day? No, it's a figure of speech that represents the time in which he lived, okay? We use, we use uh, for instance, uh, I'll be there in a minute. Does that mean you'll be there in exactly 60 seconds? Or does that mean it's a relatively short amount of time? Short amount of time. Can I tell you a story? True story? You want to set the church on edge? Here's how you do it if you're the pastor's wife. You stand in the lobby and you send your daughter out to the car to get your purse, your teenage daughter. And when your teenage daughter looks at you and says, just a sec, mom, you yell, well, not yell, but in a louder than normal voice, you look at her and you say, sex, sex, I'm tired of sex. Go get it now. I know a pastor's wife who did that. And he got really quiet in the lobby. Her husband was on the other end of the lobby. He looked at her and he said, you could have found a better time to tell me than now. Okay. Now, figure of speech. Um, it, for people who are called all millennialists, they believe this is the age of the church and this is the age that Christ rules on the earth by ruling in the hearts and lives of his people. And it's a figurative, uh, a figure of speech for a long period of time between the first coming of Christ and the final judgment. Okay? The second group of people that we're going to talk about are the people who are the post-millennialists. And the post-millennialists believe that the millennium happens right here prior to the final judgment and their belief is that the influence of the church becomes greater and greater and greater and greater until eventually it morphs into christ coming to earth and ruling on the earth because so many people have become believers that practically the whole world is christian now i can tell you fewer and fewer people are holding this view just because when you look around, it doesn't seem to be happening. Got it? Okay. That's a post-millennial view. Then we're going to talk about uh, pre-millennialists. You can tell I'm not a very good artist, right? And the premillennialists actually have a couple of things that happen. The premillennialists believe that right here is the rapture. When Jesus comes a second time, only it's a secret time. And he snatches all the believers out of the world, leaving a world filled with only unbelievers, and they enter a time. This is the Great Tribulation. Happens right there. There's a couple of variations of this, but this is the main one I'll leave you with. And then after that, Jesus comes up and sets up his kingdom and reigns on the earth a thousand years, and then after that is the final judgment. Okay? So... If you ever hear someone say, are you a premillennialist, a postmillennialist, or an amillennialist, you can say whatever you want to say. But that's sort of how that all breaks down. What I can assure you is that they all agree this is the first coming of Christ, and they all agree that it ends in a final judgment, and on the other side of judgment, there are only two destinations, and they are heaven and hell. Okay? Okay? And the whole point of this intervening time is for people to come to Christ and for us to receive salvation and to become transformed into the character and the image of Christ so we can live like him. So those are the major events. Now, let's answer the third question. And the third question is, how can I get prepared? And we're going to go back to the original text, Where Peter was talking about the day of the Lord and he was talking about flashes of fire and he was talking about the elements melting and all that kind of stuff and the earth being sort of wiped clean with heat. Not with a flood, but with heat. Because here's a couple of other things that he says in that same passage. He says, don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. Okay? In other words... God doesn't live by your timetable or mine, right? I'm always reminded when I read this passage of the guy who got the idea, if this was true of time, it's true of money as well. So he said to God, he said, look, uh, is it true with you that a, th- a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day? Yes. He so, said, well, isn't it also true that a penny is like a million dollars to you and a million dollars like a penny? Yes. Could I have a penny, please? You know what God's answer was? Tomorrow. Got it? He's just not bound by that kind of stuff. But as, as he goes on to say, he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness, but He is patient with you, not, any, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to Repentance. Have you ever picked up the paper and seen nasty stuff? And have you ever asked yourself, "Why doesn't why didn't Christ come yesterday? Why would He delay His coming? The world just people are getting hurt, and people are genocide, and all this kinds of kind of stuff." You know, I I, I took some time to absorb the facts and figures uh, as we were praying a couple of weeks ago for the countries in our beans and rice time, and and one of the things that was um, Clear to me is the country of India that we were praying for on one of those days has 35 million orphans. Now, that's the equivalent of the entire population of the state of California. Can you imagine that many orphans in one country? Everyone in Los Angeles, everyone in San Diego, everyone in the Bay Area, all the towns in between. 35 million orphans, and what was worse, 11 million of them, their parents are still alive. They've just been abandoned. Friends, the last time I checked, 6.3 million people lived in the Bay Area. 11 million is approaching. Twice that many have just been abandoned, just wandering the streets. I look at that and I say, Christ, won't you come again? Those kids deserve better than that. Way better than that. But then I read a little further, and did you know that just in the country of India, 30,000 people become Christians every week? Just in that one country. Do you realize heaven's population, from just the country of India, heaven's population is growing at 30,000 people a week? Is that awesome? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't know, I mean, if you you multiply those figures out, I mean, God's got such a great and masterful plan, and and you throw China in there, and you throw the United States in there, and you throw, more people are coming to Christ right now than ever in the history of the world. And so the world's kind of going like this. It's getting more and more perverse, but more and more people are coming to Christ. And only God knows the proper time to say, okay, that's it. But I do know this. Heaven's population grows every day. And I'm excited about that. I'm super. And I know God is too. There's a second thing we can learn about getting prepared, and that is this. Peter goes on to say this about some people of his time in verses 3 and 4. You must understand this. That in the last days, scoffers will come, and I went over this last week, they'll scoff and they'll follow their own evil desires and they'll say, where is this promise of His coming? For Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of time. Here's, here's the, the unfortunate truth. Some will mistakenly believe that it's never going to happen. That's probably not true of most of the people in our room this morning. It might not be true of anybody might not be anybody in this room who would say, I don't believe Jesus is coming again. Although, it could. I was visiting with a friend yesterday who asked me to pray for a mutual friend of ours because when he pulled up his Facebook profile, his Facebook profile said, what did it say? It said, former theist. In other words, I used to believe in God. I don't know. But you know friends, whether we believe it or not doesn't change whether it's going to happen. We talked about that last week. So let's go to the last thing because that's the part that you and I could really use. And here it is. So then dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Who's the him? That's God. I want to make you a promise. Okay? I want to make you a promise. And that is, the world as you know it is going to end in just the next decade or two or three. I can tell you that for sure. Not because I'm Harold Camping. You know how I know that? Because the world will come to an end for you sometime in the next few decades. If we know anything, we know that not too many of us live past 80 or 90. And virtually none of us live past 100. So you know that your world is coming to an end. You know it. Christ is going to come for you. And the sad tragedy is that some live as though it won't happen today. In fact, the truth is, the sad tragedy is many people live as if this will never happen in their lifetime. But the truth is, Christ will come for you on the last day of your life. There's no doubt about that. And he doesn't say that so you will quake in your boots. He doesn't say that so that you will be massively afraid. He says that for one and only one reason. And that is, he makes eternal life available to everyone. No one needs to miss it. So what kind of God would he be if this day was coming? He didn't say anything about it. He wouldn't be a God of love. So he's telling you, this is coming, and he's saying, I've provided for you, and I've made it available to you, and it's not based on talent, and it's not based on looks, and it's not based on intelligence, and it's not based on wealth, it's not based on any of the things over which you may or may not have any control, it's based on the one thing you do have control of, and that is what you choose to believe and how you choose to live, and anybody has a choice on those that simple and so Peter says let's talk about that day and the implications it should have about this day and if I could wrap up this message in one single sentence it would be this you need to live live this day for that day because that day for sure is coming And if you've lived this day for that day, this day is fun, and that day is even funner. And I'm not even sure that's a word. Got it? But if you live this day right, you get to take hold of the eternal life that God has given you, and you get to start living in that reality today. And then when that day comes, whether it's in the next 10 years, 10 minutes, or 10 centuries, it doesn't make any difference because you will be ready for that day and that will be one great day we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks so how can we apply this why don't you pull out that uh, that start here card look on the back side it's also on the bottom of your notes there's three ways the first way that you can get ready is you could choose to become a christian today that's where it all begins Because the Bible is very clear on the day that Jesus comes again there's only two groups of people. Those who have chosen to become followers of Christ and those who have rejected being followers of Christ. And you have the opportunity to choose to get in the right group. And there's never a better time to make that choice than today. And I've prayed for you that you would make that choice today if you haven't already. Because you can change Your eternal destination in one day. That's how great God is. The second thing is if you made that choice years ago, and in the intervening time, you just let it slip, and you've been living your life as if that day wasn't coming, and you need to get your life back rededicated to Christ, do it today. Why not walk out of here at peace with Him instead of grieving Him? Why not walk out of here ready to live the rest of your life in partnership with Christ and take hold of that life that He has for you? It's a great life. It's the best life you could possibly ever live on this earth, let alone in eternity. It just doesn't get any better anywhere at any time than walking with Christ. And then the third thing is, If you're already a Christian and you don't really need to dedicate your life to Christ, then I want to challenge you in your daily prayer times, I want to challenge you this week to make it a week where you focus your prayers on Christ's return. Okay? So here's how you start your prayer. Dear Lord, in view of your return, and then start talking and listen Because it will change the way you pray for the better. Because you will be praying in this day about that day. And it will help you sort out your priorities. All the things that you should sort out. Because you're going to start out by saying, dear Lord, what? In view of your return. These are the things I want to talk to you about today. Your hangnail might not make it on the list. In view of your return, I'd like to talk to you about my hangnail. It hurts. Okay? You might go a little higher in the priorities than that. Okay? What a great week this is going to be as we pray to God and as we accept Him and as we rededicate our lives. I want to pray right now. And while I pray, would you just take the time to process this with God? Record on your card the decisions that God brings you to. And then I want to challenge you as you leave this place in a few minutes to go out and live them so that they bear fruit in your life. Father, we're so blessed that you've told us in advance you're coming back. And not as a warning, but you've told us you're coming back because you're bringing salvation and you're bringing heaven and you're bringing eternal life and you're going to put an end to people being mistreated and abused and all the terrible things that go on on the face of our earth, thank you for telling us that there is an end to this and that there's the beginning of something brand new and then thank you for telling us we can get on the right side of that. And instead of being part of that stuff that's being wiped away, that we can be part of that group that's forever cherished and loved by you. And Lord, this morning, for those of us who've never made that decision, come to church We've hung out with church people. We've been curious, but we've never made the choice and said, today i become a Christian. Lord, would you work in our lives today that we make that choice? For those of us who have wandered and drifted and we need to hit the reset button in our Christian walk, would you help us to hit that reset button and get properly aligned with you again so that we could take hold of the life that you have for us? And Lord, in this week, as we pray, In view of your return, we're excited about what you'll lead us to and what becomes important to us because we know it'll already be important to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.